0: talked about the sadducees and the sadducees were a group of people who were mainly associated with the priests with Jerusalem and they were pretty wealthy and they had lots of lots of money and they wanted to stay close to Rome remember we talked about how they were what they were doing in the temple they had like They were exchanging money in the temple because they couldn't use the temple, they couldn't use the coins that had the image of the emperor on them. So they had to go and exchange them for other coins. And poor people were basically not getting much out of that. And so one of the things that you guys may be wondering about in this is that I have been, confession, been recording our Sunday school classes And I've actually been putting them out on a podcast. And um, it's not like it's the biggest thing in the world, but I do have some friends back in New York who um, I taught Sunday school to as well. And so a couple of them were listening to this as well. One of my friends back in New York had a question. So I told him, you know, it was a good question. I'd address it this week. And his question was on... You know what's this? What's this difference between priests and teachers of the law? Because you will sometimes hear Jesus say, "Oh, the the scribes, the Pharisees, the hypocrites," or mm-hmm. you know, the, the ph- Pharisees and the teachers of the law are hypocrites, right? Like, what's the distinction between these things? You know, one priest also teachers. So, I think the best way to look at it is that there's a difference between like political parties, religious ideologies on the one hand and professions on the other. Like, for example, like uh, trial attorneys. So who are trial attorneys? People who go out and sue doctors and sue hospitals and sue uh, paramedics or whatever, right? Those, that, that whole group of lawyers, right? What political that, – that that's a profession, right? The, the job of trial lawyer or draw, the job of plaintiff's lawyer. What political party do they tend to be associated with? The ambulance treatment. Yeah, but what political party do they tend to be associated with? Democrats, right? So they, so, so that's, so you have, you have a party, on one hand, so Democrats and Republicans, and then you have professions that they tend to be part of. So Republicans tend to be part of military, right? Democrats tend to be part of like professors in college, right? So this, this is the distinction I'm making. So if you go to the next next slide. next one yeah so this kind of simplifies it a lot but i still think it's useful so who are the sadducees they're very sad but they're also the high priests most of them are in the high priests they control the temple and its rituals right those are the sadducees they're mostly wealthy again because they're part of this corrupt deal they cooperated with rome they rejected the oral law. So that's their, that's their thing. We'll talk about the Pharisees in, in a lot of detail. But does that distinction make sense? The Pharisees were more in the, tri, in the... Their profession was more... you know If they're going to make money. Some of them were just went out and taught people. Like rabbis, right? Others of them were actually, in a, in a sense, lawyers. Because back then they didn't have this kind of distinction between secular necessarily secular law and religious law. There was... But, you know, if you're going to get married and you have to write a marriage contract or property law or all these laws are controlled by <coughs> biblical law. And so they had to have people, lawyers, or people who understood the biblical law to uh, and make it real in people's lives. You know, how do I write a biblical contract? How do I deal with property? All of these practical issues, they were, they were part of. So when Jesus was talking about these scribes, teachers of the law, that's part of what it was. And most of them were Pharisees. So, and this is uh, the of making life count ministries for this. Um, but that's the distinction between Sadducees and Pharisees. Sadducees, their approach to Rome was what? Oh, let's, let's cooperate with Rome. Let's do what they tell us to do because they don't want to be destroyed by, by the Romans. What's the next group? Do you go to the next slide? So what group is this? So we talked about the Essenes, the Sadducees. Who are these guys? The. How do you say that word? The Zealots. What are the Zealots? The Zealot about? What's their deal? Well, let me ask you this. What is their approach to Rome? What is their view on Rome? Violence. Violence, right? So these would be, we, we might call the, um, all right, you can call the charists if you want, but they're people who see violence as the way of approach, right? Sadducees are cooperating. Essenes are hiding and waiting for God to do something. The zealots are like, let's take care of business now, right? Mm-hmm. And, and And, you know, They, they, And one of Jesus' disciples actually was a zealot, which is interesting, right? Because he had a disciple that was Matthew, who was a tax collector, and he had another disciple who was a zealot. So one who was cooperating with Rome and one who wanted to rebel against Rome, he had them as his two disciples. Interesting what kind of conversations they might have had between Matthew and Simon. But anyway, so, (coughs) I mean, they had a lot of things... Going, going for them because they remembered just a few hundred years before them re- rebelling against a another foreign group, the Greeks, right? The, the Syrian rulers. They were able to take over and violently overthrow them. So why can't they violently overthrow the Romans now? What is the Messiah supposed to do? Right? Isn't the Messiah supposed to come and violently defeat the Romans just like Joshua defeated all the people in, the, in, the Can- in, in, in Canaan? Why can't God do the same kind of miracle now? What do you think, Steve? Can't God defeat the Romans in the first century? If he wanted to, right? So, why couldn't they violently go in? Why wasn't that the way to go? Why didn't Jesus use violence to bring justice to the world? It's, fun. It's, a, it's an interesting question, right? Because one of the things that Jesus did when he had this temptation, what was one of the temptations of Jesus? You guys remember? What are the temptations of Jesus? You guys learned this? Name one of the temptations of Jesus when he John went from
1: hill, jump from the hill. From the
0: what it was another one? Right. Oh, I mean, the church. Worship Satan so that... Right. So he can get... Because Satan said, I have control over all the governments of the world. So all you need to do is do what? <laughs> Bow down, worship me, and I will give you all the governments of the world. In a sense, I, the way I look at it is like, if Jesus had done that, Jesus and the devil could have violently taken over the world. They could have got these big armies, and they could have militarily overthrown. And maybe, you know, um, you can have a, like a, a positive viewpoint. that like Jesus could have thought, well, I'm much better than any other ruler in this world, right? I'm much better than any earthly ruler in this world. So why couldn't God just, why couldn't I just go out and violently overthrow this horrible, vicious killing machine known as the Roman Empire, and start a, an empire of peace 2,000 years ago. And this whole millennium just wouldn't have happened like the way they did. Why did he do that? Instead, he chose to be violently murdered himself, instead of violently destroying the Romans. That's fundamentally weird. You know, we preach Christ crucified, what Paul says, right? We preach Christ crucified. What does that mean? We preach a messiah crucified. It's, it's, uh, what he says, it's foolishness to the Greeks, a stumbling block to the Jews, but it is the power of God for salvation, right? And so we have to confront the zealots, because the zealots make a very good argument. They're making the argument that God is on our side. We're the chosen people. These pagan Romans should not have control over our country. We should violently oppose them. Who's going to tell us not to? Problem is, they tried that, and they got viciously destroyed. Right? We talked about that in 80, 70. They got destroyed. Their their temple got killed, uh, burned down. These people were going down the wrong path. Eventually, they would they would cause the destruction of the entire nation. But that's the zealots. And so, what's the next group? After the Zealots, there's one after that. Okay, whose favorite group is this? Who loves the Pharisees? Anybody a fan of the Pharisees? Am I? <laughs> Who really despises the Pharisees? What what do we know the Pharisees as? Like, what is the, if I say the word? Pharisee, what's the first thing that comes out of your mouth? Hypocrite, hypocrite, right? These are the bad guys, right, in the Bible, in the New Testament. These are the people who were opposed to Jesus the most in the Gospels. And the thing that Jesus said over and over and over about them were that they were hypocrites. I'm going to say something a little bit controversial right now. I don't care. I think we have more in common with the Pharisees than we do with the people that Jesus hanged out with. Uh, and, 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 and we have to understand why would that be? Like, why do we seem to have more in common with Jesus' opponents than we do with the tax collectors and the sinners and the other people that Jesus tended to surround himself with? So, they are the forerunners of the rabbis, and we'll talk about that. Um, they believed in uh, resurrection, angels, the oral law. So They were different from the Sadducees in that sense. They survived the destruction of the temple. They, they are basically the winners in this, in this battle beto- between these four groups. Remember we talked about the Essenes and the Sadducees and the Zealots. They basically disappear after the temple is destroyed. Because... How can you be a Sadducee if your whole point is about the temple, and the temple is gone? Is there much point in being a Sadducee? If, If your nation is destroyed, is there much point in being a zealot anymore? Well, we tried violence. They're gone. So this group eventually becomes the rabbis, who are now in synagogues throughout the world. They become the actual Judaism that we see today. So they're a very important group of people. We have to understand that what Jesus was confronting was, every time we read what Jesus says in the New Testament, we have to look at it from the words that Jesus said to the audience he was talking to, but also, when is Matthew writing? Matthew is writing during a time period when the only people that were left were the Pharisees. So he, he, he was dealing with this challenge of th- this group where the main challenge to the Christians back in, in, in about 80, 70 or 80, eighty eighty, when Matthew is writing his gospel. He, top of his mind are the Pharisees. <coughs> so we have to understand what Jesus is dealing with, what Matthew and Mark are dealing with, and then what the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us so nowadays. So this man has one foot... Above the ground, what in the world is that about? Why, why does this man have a dirty sandal, and he's he's standing on one foot? Why would someone do such a ridiculous? Thing? Awesome. So there was a Pharisee, there was a Pharisee or a Rabbi, a couple. He lived a couple years before Jesus was doing his ministry. His name was Hillel. And, so he, you know, they're part of this group of teaching the Jewish law or whatever, right? And, and so one guy came up to him and said, explain the entire Torah to me standing on one foot. All right, that seems like a challenge, right? The Bible is really long. And he's like, explain the whole thing to me standing on one foot. Okay. And then he said, the, the whole Torah is love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else is commentary. Go forth and start Interesting, what the parallels are, right? It sounds similar to something Jesus might have said, right? Too. The other thing is, he said that which is hateful to you do not um, that which is hateful to you do not do to your fellow. That is the whole Torah. What does that sound like? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? So what I'm saying is that this was in the air, right? It's in the atmosphere. These are things that people have heard, right? There's this, even among, among the Pharisees, they had different schools. So we're like a faction of a faction. They sound like, well, calls them, They have factions, and then they have factions within their factions, right? So among the Pharisees, you had different groups. You had the group of Hillel, which was more, I wouldn't say liberal, but they, were, they had a different kind of viewpoint. And then you had this other group the school of Shammai, right? And this is the group that I think was the group that Jesus was really opposed to because they took it to the legalistic extreme. Everything had to have an extra rule to it. They believed, what is this oral Torah that we're talking about? So, for example, Bible says, don't work on the Sabbath, right? Can I drive a car on the Sabbath? There's no Sabbath... There's no car mentioned in the Old Testament. So why can't I drive a car? Is there something wrong with driving a car? Is driving a car work? It takes effort? So this is why you need an oral law, right? Because the Bible, the first five books in the Bible, Moses wasn't driving a car. Was he driving a car in Matthew? No, he wasn't, right? Because they didn't have cars. So how do we, in this time, apply that law, right? that is where this whole oral tradition comes up. Like, how do you apply the law that God put in, in the Torah, to the modern day? And that is what they were dealing with with Jesus' time. So when Jesus was um, plucking wheat from the, and his disciples were plucking wheat, and they were eating it, right? What did the Pharisees say? The Pharisees said, why are you eating it without washing your hands, first, right? And you can say well that's hygiene. <laughs> but but that's but their their real point was you know your hands could have been touching unclean things. Maybe you were accidentally touched a pig or something like that. You accidentally touched unclean things. So when you're going so when you're going to go eat, you cannot just grab something and eat it without washing your hands first. Because you could cause a contamination of unclean and clean. And when I say unclean, you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm not talking about germs. They didn't really have an understanding of germs. What, what I'm saying is unclean animals, like pigs or shellfish or those sort of things, you have to wash your hands first to ceremonially clean yourself before you can eat. Is that in the Bible? No. But the Pharisees added to the Bible, added to the law, Why? To try to make it make sense. So, if you go to the next slide, I'll show you. And this is the last one. What does this say? Sabbath elevator. So, this is a question. If I'm going on an elevator on Saturday or Friday night, because that's when the Sabbath actually starts, what am I supposed to do? Can I press the button? I want to go to the fifth floor. Can I press the button? Steve? Yes? If I, if I want to go to the fifth floor, and it's Saturday, and there's a number five, do I press the button to go to the fifth floor? What do you think? Can we do it? Is it in the Bible? Does the Bible talk about elevators? What are we supposed to do, right? So this I feel like the Pharisees get a bad rap. I'm not defending the Pharisees. They're the opponents of Jesus. But I'm saying, I'm trying to understand their headspace, right? Trying to understand where they're coming from. Like, what are we supposed to do in a world of elevators? How are we going to make it? Because the, the, the Bible doesn't say what to do on the Sabbath during elevators. We're not supposed to work. So it's pressing a button on the elevator... Working. No. Technically, yes, right? So what they decided to do, and you you can read about this, is put a fence around the Torah. So you have the Torah, remember, when I say Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? Those extremely complicated laws, right? They're saying, we are the what people of God? We are the chosen people of God. We were chosen to be blessed and to be a blessing to others. But that being chosen means we also have duties, right? We have, we're have we a chosen people. That's great. The Malayalis, I don't know if we are chosen too in a different way. But the, 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 but the Jews were a chosen people. Because they are chosen, what do they have to do? They have to obey the Torah. They have to obey the Torah, and they because they did not obey the Torah, the Pharisees are saying, because we did not obey the Torah, what happened? Our country was destroyed. Our our kings were defeated. Our empire, empire, destroyed our country. Now we have one puppet ruler and we have the Roman Empire. We've lost everything and we're living here because we did not do what? Follow the Torah. So now it is more important than anything else we do to follow this Torah. Because if we follow the Torah perfectly, put a fence around it, make sure we do everything exactly right, God will be impressed with us. God will send His Messiah. God will save us. You see what I'm saying? That's what the Pharisees were thinking they were doing. So when they saw this Messiah, Jesus, coming and not doing everything according to their program... They were like, what are you doing? You're not following the program. This is the program. We've decided what the program is to get Messiah to come. You're not following the program. And Jesus was like, I wasn't sent here to follow your program, right? And that was the conflict, right? And we will talk about what Jesus has to say, right? You see what I'm saying? I don't feel like the Pharisees are as horrible as we make them out to be because they, in a lot of ways they are. Because we want to be the chosen people. We want to follow God's law. And we put a fence around it. And we tell God what to do. So much. Right? And what is this Sabbath elevator about? It says that on religious holidays and on Friday night and all of Saturday, what's going to happen? The elevator is going to stop at every floor. Therefore, you do not have to. Press any of the A lot of us, grew, growing up in New York, I don't know if you had this experience. You guys must have, right? What would you see on Saturdays if there was a synagogue nearby? You'd see a lot of Orthodox Jews walking to the synagogue. Why? They're not allowed to drive. You would think that walking is more work than driving, right? In our, in our thinking, but their devotion, their dedication, their commitment to this Torah is so extreme, right, that they're saying, no, actually driving his word, God has enabled us to walk, so therefore, that is the right way to do it, and they, they looked at it, they looked at these five, law, these five books, they came up with 613, 613 commandments, how many of you know that's a lot of commandments, that is quite a few commandments. And on top of all of those commandments, they had all the commentary on top of that of how to apply those, those, those things to their, to their life.